episode 55, The Internet of You, Big Data Style. Today, I speak with Geraldine Garon from Data Donors about transforming healthcare. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I read an op-ed by Dr. Eric Topol in the May 2015 Nature Reviews, where he called for an international open medical resource to provide a database for every individual's genomic information of all shapes and sizes, clinical information, and also non-clinical information, including things like social determinants, which oftentimes account for 50% plus of, of outcomes. Dr. Topol wrote, very convincingly, I thought, that this resource is needed in order to facilitate genetic diagnoses and thereby transform medical care. Data donors wasn't mentioned in the Topo article, but I can't imagine it will stay under the radar for long. Data donors is an effort by the Wikilife Foundation. Yes, the organization behind Wikipedia. And it's their effort to democratize health data in the same way that they've democratized pretty much every other kind of information. Today, I speak with Geraldine Garon, a co-founder of Data Donors, about the what and why of what they're doing. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Geraldine. Hi, how are you, Stacy? Thank you so much for inviting me. So tell me about data donors, this Wikipedia of health that you are in the process of building. The rise of Wikipedia and other freely available, communally developed portals of information have proved that crowdsourcing data and the ample dissemination capabilities of the internet can accelerate our understanding of health and also fuel research in an unprecedented way. That's why we created Data Donors. It is an open data project that leverages new technologies for big data analysis and visualization. Our main objective is to collect, analyze, and disseminate health and lifestyle data in an open and anonymous way. And that's kind of like the original Wikipedia, which has often been said to be democratizing data. Exactly. Nobody thought that it would work, but now I don't see any Britannica encyclopedia. So maybe let's start from the collection angle. What kinds of information are you collecting and from whom? I would say one word, everything. We collect absolutely everything. And quoting a renowned oncologist, Dr. Dean Ornish, that has a clear vision of integrative medicine, your genes are not your fate. It is that microenvironment, which we call lifestyle, that has the power to turn on and off genes. So at Data Donors, we have been developing metadata for the past five years that includes most of all health and lifestyle variables in order to have a unified structure for organizing the meta health cloud. This database is classified in different categories and include items related to medical conditions and complaints, nutrition, exercise, uh, things related to psychology, mood. It's been an enormous effort to consolidate all of these variables that affect health in a big data cloud environment that is ready for data mi mining. It's hard not to 
be reading about social determinants and about how the the gigantic impact that social and environmental and lifestyle choices make on outcomes. So it's really interesting that you're collecting not only, I'm going to assume, all kinds of clinical data points, which we can get into in a moment, but then also those lifestyle components as well. Exactly. Those lifestyle variables are directly impacting on health. I can give you a very simple example. If we want to analyze, and this was a published paper, how a certain drug for a cancer treatment work, it had a different effect on people that had a significant other with them during the treatment that if they didn't. So that's a perfect example of how something related to your life that's not uh, on record may affect on your health. Yeah, it's interesting. I um I copied down this quote from Ray Zeigelstein, Dr. Ray Zeigelstein, which was in JAMA in this past April. And he said that the influence of unique circumstances of the personome, he called it, is just yeah. as powerful as the impact of the individual's genome, protonome, you know, and all the other gnomes. The omic era. Indeed. <laughs> so yes, I completely agree. So the one thing that I'm really curious about is, so say that I want to upload my own data, because it is each individual's choice, right? I mean, this is at the patient level. You know, you're, you're reaching out to individual people and asking them to upload their information. Is that, is that true? Yeah, correct. And what would I do? Like, what, what kind of information would I upload and how? What we do is provide a free platform for sharing, storing, and analyzing any kind of information related to what we call your health. So that can be genomic, behavioral, or your medical records. Of what, of course, we cannot do everything. So we would rely on the ones who are closer to the end users. And those would be the app and device developers and the healthcare providers because they can encourage data donation. And on the other hand, we rely on the scientific community and the health industry to analyze all this data to find new correlations and hypotheses. As an example, we decided recently to provide a backend for apps using the Apple's research kit as a mechanism to allow data donation from study participants. The idea is that for companies that are developing um, devices and for entrepreneurs that are developing new apps, that they see an added value to their product if they, they can ask people to donate their information because that they, that, that's showing transparency about the data and that they do not own the information, that the only person that owns that information is the end user, the consumer. So I basically would, on your platform, I'd hook up my Fitbit. I would, there's a place that I could upload my personal medical record. Is that kind of how it works? Yes, exactly. My blood tests, if I wanted to, I just upload yeah. them to a spot. And then yes. somehow or another, they get crunched into your gigantic repository of open source information? That's the way we do it. And also, what you can get out of it, there's a benefit for the consumer. There's a benefit for the research community. There's a benefit for the company. I'm, I'm going to expand on this. On one hand, the consumer can visualize their own data because they have it all in the same place and compare themselves to others that are similar as that person and potentially learn more about trends in, for instance, your personal health and also create insights into helping current and future patients and their families to better understand and manage their health. 
maybe I don't know you have a digestive problem so you can you, you can you can watch what you're eating and decide to delete some ingredients from your diet and check if you feel better when when people were asked about data sharing most of them say that they would contribute if their data were part of a larger study where they could be where there could be some additional knowledge for many of the consumers willingness to share data depends on the purpose for sharing and many consumers would be more likely to share if they knew that it would only be used, for instance, for public good research. From the research community perspective, when it comes a time for scientists to generate hypotheses, instead of accessing a couple of hundred data points, imagine now them having the, the opportunity to access millions of data points, making working hypotheses much more accurate and data-driven. One of the main strengths of this type of information is that it has the potential to be more translational. A lot of the findings that can come out of it can be directly applied in people's lives. I believe that a lot of the findings that can come out of this type of information, meaning that crunching this information can be directly applied in people's lives and are related to the types of health outcomes that people care about a lot. And from the healthcare provider's perspective, it's simple maths. It's a severe reduction in costs. The healthier the people, the cheaper the budget. And from the company's perspective, if you have the, the research community legitimizing this information that's coming from the end users that are tracking their lifestyle and other variables, and they are publishing this information, then you give credibility to the devices that the companies are developing. So they are interested too. Yeah, I've heard the term the Internet of DNA because I know that genomics is one of the things that you're collecting. Actually, it was in the MIT Technology Review this um, this year and what they were talking about 10 breakthrough technologies of 2015. And basically the point was without a database such as this, it's impossible to facilitate genetic di diagnoses and impossible to therefore transform medical care. So obviously you yeah. you definitely have some pretty big names in the scientific community behind what you're what you're doing. There is I think there is a fact. As I said before, health is being democratized. When patients have their data, they become engaged and have a better sense of well-being. So partnering with doctors who provide oversight of that data and using the wisdom and experience of the doctor, but also including the other side, the consumer, it's going to be the best combination. By far, engaging the consumer in health issues is a much better experience. The consumer is the major stakeholder. She or he should be 100% engaged in decision-making rather than the paternalism of the doctor telling them things and ordering them, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's about the patient taking charge and the doctor supporting that. Today, a lot of doctors think that the patient-generated data is not worth anything, and we need to get over that. There's another fact, patient-generated data is going to be massive and bigger in quantity and importance than the electronic record data that we keep in hospitals, because as computational power is getting bigger by the minute, most of that data is going to be recorded and tracked automatically, therefore it's going to be curated data. Two points uh, um, I'm thinking about based on what you just said. One of them is that obviously the, the quantity of data is clearly massive, which obviously requires some pretty massive computing power and some pretty massive servers. I know that you are a nonprofit. Who is backing this effort? 
you know, who are your major donors that are really interested in seeing this, the success of this mission? Our business model is not to have a business model. That's the great difference between our project and what's going on out there. Uh, we do not profit for, from anything or no one. The idea is that, as I said before, if we are building uh, the Wikipedia of health, we are going to be supported by the community as a whole. So we have built an, an API over a scalable cloud infrastructure, which supports high volume of income requests and has the ability to store vast amount of health and lifestyle data, thanks to an auto-scaling design. But to your answering your question, it's a, a global project. We don't have a particular, particularly one specific um, type of donor. But I know you're sponsored by WikiHealth or, or one of the Wiki found, foundations. That's our foundation. Ah, okay. That's the name of the foundation <laughs> and data donors is our, our platform, our project. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that that you are part of the Wiki Foundation is probably the yeah, way to we put are. it. Yeah. Got it. That's kind of relative to the, the quantity of data. So let's talk about the, the quality for a second. I'm just thinking of something that you had said earlier about checking if someone has food allergies. So I am currently, this is probably a little bit TMI, but you know, I'm currently thinking I might be allergic to a particular kind of food. So I have to say I'm doing the most awful job ever, which makes I'm gonna, me- I'm gonna simplify that. Okay. <laughs> As I said before, each time you have more sensors on your phone, you know that you can, you can have a snapshot of what you eat, so you can record what you're eating. And at the same time, you can uh, track the way you feel. So it's not such a hard effort. It's not that you'll be tracking every single variable from your life in a manual way. You know exactly uh, what are your problems. For instance, you, you're having, as I said before, a digestive problem. So you're interested in tracking that. So you're just going to go and take a couple of pictures of what you eat. And at the same time, you'll be tracking how you feel. It's a matter of going on Sundays to your iPhone or to your, your, your smartphone and checking out during the whole week because at Data Donors, you have a dashboard where you can see all your information correlated together and you can decide which variables to, to correlate and you can see which day of the week you, you felt better or you felt worse and, and, and associate that to what you have eaten. Everyone knows that there's something that they don't they don't like about themselves or something that they should take care about or something that makes them feel bad but they don't know exactly what it is it's a matter of finding which app or 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 or, or medical device will help them solve that and just let the time pass by because you have you have sensors that sensors that are recording that kind of variable for you it's a matter of you wanting to check it out so I'd be interested in in your take on this what are you making obsolete? Like, what is becoming obsolete based on what you guys are up to here? I think well, we make laugh about the health myths. For instance, we, we want to demystify those maximum statements made by different people or by by the different times. For instance, you have to uh, you need to drink an orange juice in the morning. You need to eat more or less carbohydrates. You need to do uh, to jog so many miles. That's that's nonsense. We have come to a time that we, we all know and we call it the era of personalized medicine. It's all about you. You are unique. And perhaps there are people just like you or similar as you 
And so it's a question of finding which things make you feel better. And the only person that will really invest in that project is you. The doctor can do so much about you, but, but the, one, the major stakeholder, as I said before, is a consumer. Nobody knows more about you than yourself. So you have to do something about it. I think that just doing the, the, the minimum effort of acknowledging that, that you have the power to change and just letting all this computational power or engaging this computational power will have a significant impact on your health. I can, I can give you a small example uh, of this, um, but now I'll, I'll detour to the 1800s. In Europe, in Hungary, there was um, uh, a doctor called Ignaz Semmelweis. Do you know the story about him? I don't. Do tell. He was actually going to study law school, and afterwards he went into, uh, into medical school, and he ended up being an obstetrician. And at that time, there was a horrible death called the puerperal fever. One out of five women would die after giving birth. He was really concerned about the situation, and what he did was decided to do data mining. And please bear in mind that at the time there were no computers. So he analyzed all the information from the maternity wards at the Vienna Hospital from the 1700s to mid-1800s. What he realized was that at that time there were two maternity uh, wards. One had a mortality rate 10 times higher than the other one. When he got the numbers, he said, okay, let's build a couple of hypotheses. Could it be because there are differences in, 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 in what people wear when they, when they attend the maternity ward? It, so is it a matter of clothes? Is it a matter of social status? He, he even thought about religion but at, because at the time there was a, a priest that came by to give the blessing to the mothers. But everything was similar. The only difference was that one ward was attended by medical residents, and the other one was attended by midwives. Can you guess which one had the greatest mortality rate? I am going to say the former. The medical residents. He finally came out with this crazy idea because at the time he also had a friend that had, that had an accident. He was performing an autopsy and he cut himself with a scalpel. Actually, it was a professor and one student of his cut him with a scalpel and he ended up dying of a very similar death than the purple fever. So he thought, okay, maybe medical residents that, I didn't say this before, but they used to analyze corpses before attending the mothers. Maybe they are passing something from those corpses to the mothers. And at that time, the germ theory didn't exist because that came with Pasteur a couple of years later. He asked the medical community if doctors could wash their hands prior to assisting the mothers. Of course, he was rejected by the whole community. And he ended having a lot of problems with this. But in the end, they accepted. And so after he asked people to wash their hands with, chlorinate, with a chlorinated solution, mortality rates after the first month went down to 2%, and after two months, almost to zero. And this is the, first, this is the perfect example how going into the data, crunching the numbers, generating good hypotheses can lead to small, very, very tiny behavioral changes that have a huge impact in health. We're talking about washing your hands. My question is, how come now, in this century, 
with all the computational power, we don't have more Ignaz Semmelweis around the world doing amazing discoveries every single day. And I think this is happening because we're not integrating the information. We're missing everything. It's not about the genetic data. It's not about the medical records. It's about having both and your behavior, your, your lifestyle integrated with all that information. And now we can do it. Well, that also reminds me of the op-ed that Lori Beckland wrote earlier this year. Um, she actually died of breast cancer. And what she said was that each person is, in effect, a one-person clinical trial. Because when the person passes away, none of the data is collected. You know, all of that data dies with them. Her point was that in this era of big data, the lack of, of a universal data set, she, she called it criminal. Yeah, I completely agree. We've been basically talking about how this wealth of data is absolutely essential in order to accelerate learning in, in healthcare. And we've talked about how patients can look into the, the data set in order to, you know, kind of conduct their own experiments to improve their, their own health. How can a larger organization or a research organization use the data? Or do you have examples of how someone has used the data to understand things at a population health level? When we find uh, patterns with lots of data points, we can use artificial intelligence to do a deeper understanding in an automatic and continuous way. We currently now have an invasion of leading tech companies that includes Google, Apple, Microsoft, IBM, Intel, and a couple more that are investing into medicine. They're bringing in technology that we've seen in other sectors that have the, capabil the capability for deep learning, predictive analytics, and contextual computing. So now we have the computational power that can process all this health data more than any human being or any doctor could have ever done. It will predict, for example, what pre-triggers or triggers an asthma attack or a health attack or even a seizure. We have this capability of machine learning for each individual through data that is in real time being streamed and understood. Because artificial intelligence is intelligence incarnated, it's capable of what researchers call deep learning. Instead of telling machines what to do, we let them figure out for themselves based on the data we give them. And ultimately, they tell us what to do. In particular, for data donors, since artificial intelligence can actually perceive its environment and take actions, it can find patterns and correlations within data sets that combine genetic, behavioral, and medical data. It's like artificial intelligence provides thousands of researchers working around the clock. It's been said many times that if you're trying to detect a pattern, that that's really a job for a computer. Computers are much better at detecting patterns and humans are much better at trying to figure out what to do with the patterns collected. So say I'm a, a provider and I am seeking knowledge about a particular patient or perhaps I'm a researcher. What would I do? I go to your website and are all, all these data sets available for download or how does that work? We have to bear in mind one thing that as I said before, we're empowering people to acknowledge that they own their information. And having said this, 
it is the person or the consumer that decides to donate and make that information freely available. But to do that, what do we have to guarantee the person? Most of the people, when they, were, when they are asked about donating their information, that they say that they would share if and only if they would remain anonymous. I think that if people understand this concept that their data is going to be de-identified, meaning that it won't be connected to their profile, the willingness to donate is going to increase. On one hand, what we do at Data Donors, we encrypt the information, so we separate the profile from the health and, 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 and medical records. From the, uh, from the consumer's perspective, he or she can uh, integrate their own information and compare themselves to others. And from the research community perspective, or anyone wanting to access the data, what you have is millions of data points that you can uh, correlate as you wish. However, what we do is we aggregate the information and we do not share yet the raw data. We are in the process of finding which is the way, uh, the, be the best way to sharing raw data without compromising people's privacy. Another way, uh, another security measure that we take is that we make sure that res search results do not include a low number of users so that it cannot end up, if, for instance, I'm looking for people that, I don't know, smoke three times a week and live in a certain uh, geographical area in a certain neighborhood and uh, goes to the gym two times that my research results don't come up with, I don't know, 10 people, meaning that I can quickly identify who I'm, who I'm looking for. Now, you said that you aggregate the data and make it available to more institutional or, or academic institutions. What does that aggregated data look like? You know, what does that mean exactly? Aggregated data is fixed data. I can correlate variables into that information. I can, I can compare things, but I do not have access to the raw information because raw information would uh, compromise people's privacy. It has pros and cons. One, the pros is that we protect privacy. The con is that we cannot have the raw information that we could correlate in a different way. The thing is this, that if you want to guarantee people's privacy, there are a couple of things that you have to bear in mind. For instance, one, one, one person wants, wants to participate or donate information in any project, account deletion should be guaranteed meaning that if a participant wants to leave the project, she or he can withdraw at any time, which means that an application should stop collecting new data, but the coded data that has already been provided and that has already been distributed will not be able to be destroyed or deleted. For instance, those uh, now there are a couple of projects using the Research Kit app from Apple. You can design your own study and you can put it out there. People voluntarily will decide to take part in it or not, but people are seeking to, to participate in projects where they, their data is private. However, if you really ask me, it's impossible to completely guarantee 100% people's privacy, and that you can see it from all consent forms out there. So we really have to look into it and see how we can improve that. But the idea is that people understand if consent forms are really clear, 
the choice of participating in that project depends exclusively on the consumer. Well, I was speaking with someone yesterday who's really interested in trying to understand who becomes addicted to opioids, for example, and who does not. So if I am trying to wrestle with that question, I could, you know, log on to the, the datadonors.org website and try to find data sets, which would include people who are addicted to opioids versus people who took opioids and we're fine, you know, we're able to, to, to stop without a problem. Exactly. And if we, if from the platform, that question cannot be answered, that person, that researcher or anyone can design their own study and, for instance, use Research, the Research Kit app to generate the study. And in that way, you can um, ask people to participate on it and then you can answer your question. So I wouldn't be able to access the already collected information. I would need to make a query. Kind. Of- no, you can. From data donors, you can. But perhaps we, we, oh, we. I, uh, I don't have the number of people that you want for the study. You, I don't know for, for the ones that comply with the, the the three variables that you're looking for. I don't have the n number that you wish. Perhaps it is too small. So you have a couple of alternatives. If you don't, if you don't see what um, you want on our platform, you still have other ways of, uh, of looking for it. You can design, as I said before, your own experiment and put it out there and expect people to participate if you can assure that privacy is guaranteed. And then you can even ask people to, in the consent form if they wish to donate that information. If I am a, a patient looking to participate, it's probably as simple as going to datadonors.org and following the directions. If I'm a provider or an institution or an academic who's looking to pull information out of datadonors.org, where would I go? What would I do? Exactly the same. You still have to generate your own user, but we are building um, a parallel platform for researchers. The idea is that we don't make any difference between the, the lay audience and the research community or the healthcare providers. Well, we are generating a huge database that can be accessed by anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a huge pharma company or you are an only person in the middle of Africa or in South America want with a bright idea and you don't have the resources. The idea is to have one place, a unified place with plenty of information for anyone. Consumers are the major stakeholders and there is a consumer revolt starting. The reduction in healthcare costs will directly impact not only on the healthcare system, but only also on every consumer's pocket. So the truth is that the healthier, the better for everyone. And a couple of weeks ago, and to be more precise on June the 2nd, Andy Slavitt from the CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, announced that entrepreneurs and innovators could access Medicare data. There's a big movement of health data transparency and accessibility that has begun. Well, I thank you so much for being on the program, Geraldine. I learned a lot. Thank you so much, Stacey, again for inviting me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, You will also find a complete listing of 
all of the shows that we have published thus far, there are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.